Welcome to Dallas. We're a community of faith pursuing the way and person of Jesus. We're so glad that you're listening. So uh, last week, I started a two-part series that ends today on generosity. And if you're newer here to us here at Dulles, I'm going to ask you to not assume we talk about money a lot. I did that disclaimer last week. About every three years or so, I do a message or a short series on giving and generosity and what that looks like and what God's plan is for you to be a wealth builder, actually. And uh, inevitably, somebody who's newer to the church will come in and, and hear the message and think, all they talk about is money. I grew up in a church era in the 80s where churches were known for talking about money so much and trying to get people's money and playing on people's emotions. Uh, I think we've proven here that we don't do that. Uh, so I think we've earned the right to look squarely in the face of what Jesus intends for us in regard to our resources and our possessions uh, and what we're saving for. And so last week, it's just a, a, a point of quick review. Jesus, we looked at how Jesus talked more than, about more than any other subject, more than any other topic more than eternity, Jesus talked about money. And it's hard to get your head around that until you study it for yourself and you realize he illustrated, referenced, spoke to, got to the heart of money and the power of money more than any other topic because he knew that money has the unparalleled ability to show what's really going on in here in the human heart, in the human thinking. Our big question last week is, so how much is enough? The human propensity, our propensity is to think, I need more, I need a little bit more. What I have isn't enough. We're taught that as we grow up in this country and uh, in much of the world. So Paul, in many places Paul addresses this. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Timothy 6, tell the church, Timothy, tell your church in Ephesus, to use their money to do good, they should be rich in generosity. They should be rich in good works and generosity. Now, Paul doesn't say, hey, teach, teach the people of your church to, to give back once in a while. That's not what Paul's saying here. He's not talking about giving. The difference between giving, we looked at last week, and generosity is that giving is something that we do. Generosity is something we've become, something we're becoming. Giving is something you do from time to time. Generous is who God is turning us into as, as, as people, as followers of him, as emulators of him. In Luke 16 last week, we saw that Jesus taught this amazing parable about a rich man who had someone manage his, his wealth. And he says this in just a simple summary. Verse 10, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. And the point Jesus is making is that we are managers. Here in America and on planet Earth, we're taught that your paycheck is yours. What you've earned is yours. Your bank accounts are yours. 
Jesus says, when you step into my space, into my kingdom, when you begin to think the way that I have designed you to be and to exist, it's not yours. It all belongs to him. You're a manager. You and I are managers of what belongs to God. Jesus is helping us see that money is a tool. Money is a means to an end. And money does not make your life meaningful. The only thing that makes anything meaningful is when it becomes a means to an end. This is the meaning of meaning. To be a means to an end is what meaning means. And when your life, when you become a means to an end, your money will follow. Your resources will follow. I talked about how Amy and I decided when we got married to give a percentage of our income away. And since we got married, we've given 10% of everything we earn uh, to our church, to what God's doing in our church. And man, was that tough. We were barely making it. I mean, to talk about a tight budget, Amy would babysit on weekends. I ended up getting a job after starting this church. I got a job on Friday nights delivering pizzas for Domino's Pizza. I mean, we, there were many times we could have said, this is crazy. What are we doing? 10% is a lot of our, we trusted that God meant what he said when he said he would take care of us and give us everything we need and so much that we have more to give away. And we began practicing Instead of delaying, like, well, we'll be generous when we have more. If you want to be generous when you have more, you have to start putting into practice being generous when you have less. It's all relative. You can always say, well, when I'm like this neighbor, when I have these kinds of resources, then I'll be able to do the good things that I want to do in my life. Jesus asks us to trust him. Whatever you have, begin the life of generosity now. So Jesus consistently taught that when it comes to your resources, your income, your savings, your future, your vacations, your house, your car, just everything, you're actually managing. You're a manager of resources. So the question is, who are we managing it for? Managing for who? Here's another story. Here's another instance in Matthew 25. Again, Jesus says, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag of gold, each according to his ability. And then the man went away on, on, on his journey. Now, if you're a Bible reader, if you pick up the Bible from time to time and you struggle with it, and man, this seems irrelevant, I've, I've learned this pattern. You know, I sit with a lot of people to try to help them. We, we teach a lab. We're going to be doing that again soon. Like, how do you read the Bible? How do you make sense out of it? Uh, you're not alone if you've struggled to read Scripture and understand it and understand its relevance for you. And what I've, the, the pattern that I've understood, and I, th this was me, this was me early in my faith, is that someone who just is struggling to understand Scripture often has not put into practice Reading scripture, asking this question. It's a prayerful question. You're praying as you're reading the story of God. God, in this story I'm reading today, where are you? Where are you in this story? And where am I in the story? See, already you're interacting. 
You're not just consuming what's on the pages for information. You're not just trying to learn something before you rush off to work. You're, you're interacting with God. God, what is it that you want me to understand about you, about your character? What is it that you want me to see in me? What is it that maybe I need to trust you with? What do I need to surrender? What is something that you're, you're trying to change inside of my heart? That becomes, you're opening the door for God to speak his words of life through words that otherwise are just written black and white from a culture that we have trouble relating to today in the 21st century. Jesus told his parables this way. Jesus told 36 parables. And he designed them, these fable-like stories that are speaking to a reality, a reality of life, a reality of God, who he is, how he sees the world, a reality of the human condition, the rescue that humans really need. Jesus tells these parables in a way so that it, one character in each parable represents God and at least one character in each parable represents you. And so in this parable of Matthew 25, the rich man, the master, represents God, and the servants represent you and me. And so what happens is the, the master goes on his journey, and <clears throat> the servant with five bags of gold puts it to work somehow. Jesus doesn't tell us how. He doesn't tell us you know, we tend to think of when he doubles, the, the, the servant doubles the five bags of gold, they become ten. We don't know what he, did, what, what he did exactly. We think in our lifetime, well, you know, in our generation, maybe the stock market, he, he, he likely invested in materials and, and built some kind of wagon or some kind of cart and then rented them or sold them. And he ends up turning the five bags of gold into ten. The servant with the two, he also doubles the bags of gold. We don't know what he did. Maybe he, maybe he created a, a method of transporting people from one city to another. You know, like the first century Uber kind of idea. I don't know. We don't know exactly what he did. But he put this money, he, he saw this money as something that needed to be used in order to benefit the master. The servant with one bag of gold doesn't do so well. He does not earn a return on his investment. He buries it. And the master addresses all of them at the end of the story when he returns from the trip. But here's what's interesting. The master does not give his money to his servants. If the master represents God and the servants represent you and me, the point of Jesus' story is that he's entrusting, he's, he sees you and me as trustees. Look again at verse 14. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted. He doesn't give, he doesn't give an advance of pay. He doesn't give this wealth to the servants. He entrusts it to them. They're trustees. The man comes back from the journey. We see in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Uh, it's interesting that the two that earned the, the return, they don't get to keep it. 
You and I tend to think, well, they're earning this really for themselves. When we invest in the stock, when we invest in, when we are using money wisely, there's a benefit to you and me personally, a financial benefit. That's not even the point of the story. Now, there is in that they receive more to manage. The great return, the reward for these managers successfully managing the master's money well is they're given more. They're entrusted with more. But it all belongs to the master. All of it. When you look at the percentage, well, how much, what percent is the, the master's? It's 100% his. What we tend to do with this parable is respond by questioning the fairness. If you've ever read the story or heard the story before, many of you have, chances are you have thought or gone down the path that I used to go down when I would read the story. Well, wait a minute. How is it fair that the master gave more to one person, one servant, five bags of gold to one, and only one bag of gold to another? You ever done this? You gone down the fair, like, where's the fairness in this? Why is God giving more, entrusting more responsibility or possessions or of his wealth to one and another? That's not the point of the story. I used to do this when I was a young pastor. <laughs> I, uh, I was making $24,000 a year when I started this church uh, for a number of years. I remember that salary level very well. <laughs> and on Friday nights, uh, somebody had told me that a way to bring home fast cash is to work at Domino's Pizza on Friday nights. People tip more on Friday nights. It's the busiest night. This is, you know, some time ago. And so I did it. We had a baby at home. Amy was working full time and then babysitting. And we're trying to, we're trying to pastor a church. We're trying to love people. We're trying to share our vision with people of what church could be, what community could be. And I remember questioning the fairness when I would hear the stories of some billionaire who didn't even finish college. When I read the story of Bill Gates dropping out of Harvard in his second year, I had gone to grad school and worked hard in school. And here I am, I just felt like I am just working so many hours and working so hard. And this man has the opportunity to go to Harvard and he drops out because of a company he started in his garage and now he's a billionaire. I remember questioning, where's the fairness in that? You know, I'm driving, sitting in a red light with pizzas next to me. Like, this just doesn't, this is not the way the world is supposed to work. And we're giving 10% of everything we earn to God's dream for his church. You ever do this with, with God's stories? Like, that's not the point of the story. The story, the, the, the point of the story is not to ask, why were they given this? And why was she given that? And why was he given this? That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is to ask, how did they manage it? What did they do with it? Did they treat this as God's? And did they respect it and manage it as if I'm going to give a response to him about how I've managed my job, my opportunities, investment opportunities, 
put in front of me? Resources. Does this mean that you don't spend money on vacations? Of course not. Jesus himself retreated. Jesus models what it looks like to get away and to be alone and to be recharged. Does this mean you don't save for your future and think about retirement? Of course not. We're instructed as followers of God to be wise planners about our future. What Jesus is trying to get us to understand is that our incomes and our pay raises and good performance reviews and investments are not about us consuming so that we can have what we want in life. It's all about serving the plan of God. This leads me to stories, the power of story. I'm a storyteller. I study storytellers. I love great stories. You do too. I know you do because this is how humans are wired. We were designed to interconnect by way of story. We have very shallow acquaintances with the people around us if we're not honestly telling stories to one another. If you're not learning someone's story, you don't really know them. You know the image that they want you to see. You have the impression of them maybe that they want you to have. Stories are the glue that connect us emotionally to one another. We have community. We experience community because of stories. You may not realize, as a giver, a financial giver here to Dulles Church, that you have invested in some amazing stories. That may not be what you're thinking when you drop an offering in the box or you give online. But that's actually what you're doing. You are investing in stories happening. And stories being created. Interconnection being made possible. By people transparently learning what was hard and what was challenging. And fears or anxieties that some have struggled with. And my fears and my anxieties. And here's how God met me in it. And the confidence that I've developed because of how he's working in me. This, see, this is where we start to really get to know one another. You guys know, a lot of you know, most of you know, I started a film festival 10 years ago. And the whole, a lot of you are leaders in it, volunteer leaders and volunteer during festival week, which I love. And that was part of the whole plan is that our church would have a way, an opportunity to engage with people outside the church, business leaders, artists. And... <clears throat> We've centered the whole film festival around the power of story. We give away, we're the only film festival in the world that gives away all of its box office dollars during festival week so that our audience members can be part of creating stories, real-life stories of hope in communities that need help. And then we, we coined the, the phrase that we use all the time, story can change the world. We believe that. We believe stories change lives, change communities. So have you considered, maybe not, that when you invest here with us at Dulles, you're actually investing in the potential and the reality of stories happening. Jesus was a master storyteller. Jesus didn't come and stand and just lecture. Jesus taught about eternity in creation, in the plan for humans, and how we know God through stories. Because that's 
the emotional glue of how we relate to one another. And as an investor here at Dulles, you're investing in stories. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to tell one story. I've got many, many, many to choose from. I picked Andrew. I'm like, who am I going to pick? Am I? And I just picked Andrew. We honored Andrew and Jesse last week in appointing Andrew an official pastor here with us. And I just thought it would be appropriate uh, to use a, a story from what Andrew is doing that maybe many of you never see from day to day or week to week here at Dulles. And the fact that you, by giving to Dulles during a pandemic, made it possible for us to hire another pastor. So I introduced a friend of mine here in the area to Andrew, I don't know, maybe six months, a year, in the last year. A man who doesn't go to our church, a man who doesn't go to church, and about two weeks ago, my doorbell rang, and I went, and it was my friend. And I'm like, what's up? I walked out on the porch, and he just looked immediately. There was a look on his face that I had not seen, and he looked kind of like serious, or he needed to talk. And so I closed my door, and we walked out in, in, onto my front walk. And I was like, what's going on? And he was fighting back some emotion, and he said, man, I've had a rough, rough couple weeks. And I said, what's... What, what happened? And he said, a buddy of mine that I've known for years took his own life two weeks ago. And he's fighting back, you know, a lot of emotion here. And I'm like, man, I, I am so sorry. And I'm starting to, you know, lean into this. And he said, well, this is what I wanted to tell you. Another one of my friends, he's telling me, another one of my friends who's a churchgoer somewhere somewhere else, told me the next day after my friend's death that it's unfortunate, this is an unfortunate situation because God rejects people who take their own lives. He doesn't love someone who would do that, and that's eternal, and it's, that's what makes this so sad. And my friend is standing on my porch on my front walk telling me that his loss of sleep in the haunting that he's been feeling for the last couple of weeks, it's not just that he's lost his friend in the tragedy. It's what this Christian who goes to a church who's close to him told him. And so, you know, I'm kicking into the gear. I, I, I'm about to say, let me just tell you six reasons that, that that view of God is. And before I could start, he said, and I, just, I, I wanted to tell you, the guy you guys hired that you introduced me to, Andrew, he's like one of your pastors, right? Yeah, he said, just ran into him a couple days ago. And I start crying with Andrew, and I'm telling him what's going on. And I tell him that my friend is describing this view of God. God rejects people who do this. And, God, and he said, your guy, Andrew, he told me, that's not God. And my friend is on my front walk telling me what I was going to tell him about our God, because Andrew had already told him that God meets us in our darkest places. God loves us. Mistake or no mistake or whatever the circumstance is, God never gives up on us and loves us and leans into us, especially, and we just sang this morning, in the darkest moments, in the darkest hours. 
So before I can get any of my view of God out, my friend is telling me what we believe at Dulles because Andrew, two days earlier, had told him. And he said, Brad, I swear to you, I've been telling you, I might come to your church. Maybe, maybe you guys are different. I know you guys are different. He said, I'm telling you, and I thought it could happen today. I don't see my friend. He said, I'm going to walk into Dulles Church one day. You guys look at God differently. And he told me that the day he'd seen Andrew, two days earlier, that night he slept. He said, I finally slept after these two awful weeks. And so I thought my friend was on my doorstep to say, I need you. I need help. You know, this, I'm in crisis. He actually told me his crisis as a preface to tell me, but somebody at your church is helping me sleep at night again and has helped me see like there's hope. Maybe it's not too late for somebody. Maybe it's like God's love can be that deep. <laughs> you're not thinking when you're giving during a pandemic, I'm creating more stories. I'm making stories possible. And Andy Stanley, you know, I referenced him last week, and he's just, he's so good with words. I have to, I have to just cite Andy for this. In his book, if money could talk, Andy sums this into a, such a succinct statement so well. Are you living your life for stuff or for stories? It's like, man, I don't think I could have written that question more simply. Are you investing your life in more stuff? Is, is your future going to be more stuff? Or is your future going to be stories and more stories? And stories like what we value and what we're about creating here at Dulles. This is the call and the invitation. Alton and Alex and I have breakfast every Friday morning. Our directional team meets on Fridays to eat together and just catch up and encourage each other. And Alton, not knowing that I was going to say what I just said about stories, said, man, i got to tell you guys something. We've gotten this video from Poland. And Alton said, I, you know, we've seen all these images from Ukraine, and they're just terrible, and now they've kind of settled in, and it's almost like we're sort of numb to them. And he said, one day I was, I was just kind of passing the TV, and I see this mom leaving her house with her kids in Ukraine, and she said, we're leaving it all, and we'll probably never see this again. Talking about the contents in her house, her, their clothes, the toys, all this, their furniture, this is what we're taking. And she was holding stuff, right? She, she said, all we're going to have is what we have right here. And they're leaving. And Alton said he stopped and started looking around his house. And he, he said to Alex and I, wow, I just stood there. It was like it just settled in on me. What if I lost all of this in an instant? How would I define my life? How would I look at my future? Am I defining myself by the stuff that I have or by the people that I'm investing in? And I was like, Alton, listen to what I'm going to say on Sunday morning. This is two mornings ago. I just told him what I just said to you guys. Stories or stuff or are we investing in more stuff? And I'm telling you, it's just so clear to me. This is what God is putting in front of us. Are our lives as Americans about making the right financial moves so that we can have more stuff and secure more stuff for the future? And should you drive a nice car? Sure you should. Does God care about you and your family having a nice vacation where you relax and you invest time? Of course he does. 
But is your mentality that you're a consumer and that everything you earn is for you and to have more pleasure and more stuff? Or are you, are you ultimately living your life for the story of God unfolding in other people? That's what we're about here at Dulles. That's why we exist. That's what we're invested in. Something else Andy said in that, that, that part of his book. If you haven't surrendered what you have to God, he doesn't have you. I added this as a very final point here before we close. Andy, Andy said, I just, if, if you haven't surrendered what you have to God, he actually doesn't have you. It's all his. He has a plan for using you as a means to an end. Is your life, is your job, are your relationships, is your home a means to an end? When you buy the TV, buy the TV. Have fun with the TV. But are you thinking this TV and the fun and what I'm going to watch is just for me? Or are you thinking on the level that there are going to be people in my home sitting in front of this television? Who am I going to entertain? Who am I inviting? Who do I open my door to? This is the consistent call of Jesus, and this is what we want to be about at Dulles. We have financial needs. We have a budget. For the first time in the pandemic, we really dipped in January, and we've, we've had a solid quarter now, four months now, of being below budget. This has happened all over the place, and I've just somehow gone through the pandemic like, wow, we're doing pretty well. Our people are really giving, and we're meeting our budget. Happened all the way into the end of 2021, and now we've been down, and practically we have needs. And we just need all of us collectively to lean into this. I'm going to trust. I'm not going to wait till I have, till I'm wealthy to become generous. I'm going to, in my relative space that I occupy now, I'm going to begin living out generosity. And I'm going to invest in the work of God in my church. And I'm going to choose stories over stuff. This summer, we're going to look at the most exciting idea on earth. I teased this a couple weeks ago. We're going to look at what it is to build a compelling, beautiful, irresistible church and what all of our roles are in that. And there's four things I'm calling everybody to this summer. If you're in town on a sunny morning, join us. Let the yard wait. Prioritize our time together on Sunday mornings as we look at what this is. The most exciting idea on earth is that God came to dwell and then remain dwelling on earth in people like you and me. We're going to look at how that's more relevant today than ever. Prioritize Sunday mornings with us. Wednesday evenings, not every Wednesday, but at least a couple times each month this summer, I'm going to in person, and we're going to make, make it virtual as an option, we're going to do a deep dive into what this looks like. What does it look like? Our six core beliefs that we find so exciting here about the future and about making this world more and more of what Jesus intended it to be. So join us on Wednesday nights. There'll be details about that coming soon. Invest with us financially, your resources here, to make the mission of our church possible. We need to be saving for a future building. There's so much that we want to be doing right now that we're limited in doing. Invest in us so that we can do everything that God wants us to do and be as an extension of his reality here. And then lastly, if you've been more than three times to Dulles, join one of our teams. Try a team. Try it one or two weeks, and then maybe try another team. 
Let us know through our app uh, on our Dulles, or let somebody know out here in the lobby, hey, I'd like to try a team. I'd like to serve once a month on a team here at Dulles. And when it comes to giving, there's four ways to give. You can give through our mobile app. You can give through our website. The third way to give is cash or checks here in the lobby. We now have a giving box here near the door. And a fourth way that people don't think about is stocks. We receive stock contributions at least once, sometimes twice a year. That's a way to give and be an investor here with us. <clears throat> I did it. I did a two-week series on giving and generosity. I dread them. I dread this. I'm, I'm just being totally transparent. We knew a couple of months ago we need to start thinking about talking about giving and generosity. And, and instead of just, hey, we've got some budget needs, let's talk about Jesus' heart really in this. Let's talk about the benefit that we're actually called to be wealth managers. That's God's plan for you and me. But I'll tell you, I dread it. I, talking about money is my least favorite topic. I would rather talk about ants building an ant house than talking about money on a stage on a Sunday morning. And I'm just so happy that these two weeks are over. Uh, if you trust us enough to come back next week at the winery and then join us here on Sunday mornings in June, we're not going to be doing generosity series um, yeah, I just, I'm celebrating here a little bit. I love you guys. Let me pray with you. God, you've called us to be managers. That can smack uh, awkward or uncomfortable for us, those who've been raised in America, pursuing the American dream, to learn that when we follow you, it doesn't belong to us. We're managers of your redemptive plan. We're managers of people and relationships and people who are in need and need friendship. And we're managers of resources that can be investments in the lives of others and what our church is really all about in our community and in the world. May we trust you that you will meet every need as we give, you give back and provide so much so that we can continue to be generous and more generous. That is your promise to us. May we stare our culture down defiantly with courage and choose to be generous now and not wait for that hypothetical day when we have so much it's easy to give back. May we be people who give generously and happily uh, even when it seems that we're in our own need or our financial limitation may restrict us. And I know that we'll see your provision. I know that we'll see you providing for us in every single thing we need. God, we trust you. Uh, meet us in this series this summer as we talk about the most exciting idea on earth, the beauty and uh, irresistible church that you had in mind all along. We love you. Amen.